The MLS season is two months away, and if this past week is any indication, we are in for a very crazy Major League Soccer season. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett. Cleverly with me, as always, is Ivis Galarsev. How's it going, man? Going pretty well, Garrett. It's, uh, it's been a crazy week. Uh, lots of stuff going on. I just came back from Florida from the MLS Combine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's just nuts, man. There's stuff popping off everywhere, MLS-related, U.S. national team-related. Uh, you name it, it's happened in the past week since we did, we had our live show, and uh, we have plenty to talk about. How was uh, how's Florida, by the way? It was nice. It, was, it, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't perfect weather the whole time, but uh, it was all right. And actually, the last day, of course, the last day when I'm leaving it, you know, the sun, sun comes out. It's like 80s. Oh, it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. And then, of course, I get here to Jersey, and it's like 16 degrees. It was oh. unbelie- unbelievably cold. I'll be off to Philly, uh, Philadelphia tomorrow for the MLS draft. And uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. You always come back with with some scoops, man. You, you want to share any on the show? Uh, no, I, I can't. I've got some things I'm sitting on that I can't, <laughs> uh, I can't divulge. Um, there's interesting. I mean, I, there are already some big news that has popped off lately with, yeah. obviously, you know, which we'll talk about now. Um, let's just say this: there, there could be at least one or two uh, big, uh, big moves, uh, players coming to MLS that have yet to to be discussed. Uh, it's not ending uh, with, with Josie Altuve. There could be a couple more, but uh, we'll talk about the ones that have already happened now. Uh, and, and there's there's definitely some interesting subjects to, to to discuss. And in a recent development, there's a possibility that Josie Altidore may come back to Major League Soccer and uh, and latch on with Toronto FC. There's also talk that there's a swap maybe going to happen for Josie Altidore and Jermaine Defoe with the two clubs. And, and there's also two sides to this for Josie Altidore. Well, on one hand, he needs games, and, and in Sunderland, he struggled. And on the other hand, I mean, you kind of wish he, he stuck it out in Europe. I just... Well, I mean, number one, the deal's not done yet. Um, it's being finalized at this point. The fact that um, there had been some talk for several days about uh, the Jermaine Defoe part of a swap. Um, the the Josie Altidore uh, move to return to MLS did come as a bit of a surprise uh, because of the money that was going to have to be involved, not just with his salary, but with um, you know transfer fee type situation. Because let's not forget, Sunderland paid a lot of money for Josie Altidore, about thirteen million, and, mm-hmm. and as much as as much as they've been frustrated by a year and a half of, of just just terrible production. They're not going to give them away for free. So Toronto FC was in a unique position where they had a, you know, they had a chip in the game. They had Jermaine Defoe, a player who has, he's, you know, a proven commodity in, in the Premier League, and and obviously Toronto FC has the money uh, to pay Josie Altidore. So they're really in a unique position. Uh, there were other teams interested. Obviously, the New York uh, New York Red Bulls and Portland Timbers were both interested, but they did. While he, they both could have paid him a, a significant amount of money. Uh, neither had that additional kind of uh, resource uh, in terms of a transfer fee or a player they could swap. And uh, that's where TFC was ahead of them. And, and also TFC's paying a lot of money. Um, the deal that's on the table, I mean, I heard is up, upwards of $6 million, which is significantly more than any team in Europe is going to pay for just the Altidore, believe it or not. Altidore was in a unique situation because he was already he had already priced himself out of the rest of Europe. By uh, with his current Sunderland deal, um, his current Sunderland deal, from what I had heard, was anywhere from three to four million dollars a year, um, and it was tough him tough for him to find any team in Europe that was going to be able to pay him his 
his English Premier League wages. Um, you're talking, you know, whether it was France, whether it was Germany, uh, it was more in the you know likelihood of a one to two million dollar range. So we're talking about taking a significant pay cut. Was he going to do that? Was he willing to do that? And he probably was going to have to consider it. But then then up steps MLS, and not only does MLS not only is MLS able to match what he was making in in Sunderland at Sunderland, they they were able to exceed that. And and that's and that's what people need to realize. As much as the it. it, it some people will hate the idea of him coming back to MLS and believing he should stick it out in Europe, uh, and would like to have seen him in Europe, me included. Um, I, I would. I, I, I thought coming. I, I always thought staying in, in Europe was was the bet for him, uh, but changing leagues, changing teams for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to say when it's not your career, when it's not when you when you're when it's not you that's standing in front of a six million dollar offer, um, and you know looking at maybe four million dollars a year more then you're probably going to make uh, anywhere else. So, I mean, when you look at that kind of number, uh, you can understand why players consider it. And, you know, I know some people are, are, are freaking out over the idea of the U.S. national team's top players coming back, and is that going to hurt the national team? Uh, there's definitely something to be said for players not uh, reaching their maximum uh, their maximum potential by not testing themselves in the very top leagues that they can handle being in. And there's something we said for that. I know some people will disagree uh, with that notion. And that's obviously what Jurgen Klinsmann believes. That's what a lot of people believe. I believe that. I believe you should you should shoot for being in as good a league as you can be in and be productive. And it, there has to be some middle ground. It can't just be, oh, well, you're either on the bench in, in the Premier League or you're in MLS. There are other options. There's yeah. France. There's Germany. Uh, there's Italy. I mean, there's other options that you could go, but obviously Josie Altaro faced with these options. You can understand why he'd be willing to accept $6 million a year. If that is in fact what he's going to end up making, you can understand why he takes a deal like that. Well, do you have to, I mean, do you also have to wonder based off his last experience of going to Europe, not, you know, not making it that he bounces around and, and he comes back with AZ. But I mean, do you think kind of he had that in the back of his mind with Sunderland saying, am I going to drop down and kind of bounce around for a while until I get back again? I mean, you wonder if he was thinking that too. Uh, honestly, I don't think a player like him, I don't think that's uh, top athletes in general think in those terms. That's what average Joes think like. I mean, if you're a top athlete, you have confidence in your ability. You don't, you don't, you don't uh, make your decisions based on fear or insecurity. Uh, most of the athletes, athletes that I deal with and, and talk to, and uh, they, they they don't look at it in those terms because they're successful for a reason. They've gotten to where they are for a reason because they have that confidence in, in their ability. Uh, so if I'm out, if you're out to the, look, looking at how it all went down, I highly doubt it was about oh I'm afraid I'm going to fail in Europe again or I'm you know what if I'm going to end up on the bench. It, 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 when it when it came down to it, he, I'm sure he looked at. Okay, there's France as a possibility, there's Germany as a possibility, but what am I going to, you know, what what's the salary situation, what's the contract situation? Uh, can they afford me uh, in terms of transfers? So there was a lot of talk about loan deals. Um, so what what kind of money would he have been on? And and MLS just change they're changing the game for Americans by being able to offer the kind of money that gets you a Clint Dempsey, the kind of money that gets you Michael Bradley. Uh, and now Josie Altidore, uh, they, 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 the teams have been able to step up and pay salaries that just no one in Europe is going to be able to pay. And it's it, it's just easy to say, you know, the, the, these are mistakes, right? It's easy to say that. But when you're the one standing in front of a five, six million dollar contract, when the best you're looking at in Europe is maybe one million, two million, 
Uh, I mean, it's 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 a pretty easy decision. And and one thing I would point out is you look at Josie Altidore, you look at Mixed Discrude, uh, you know, early to mid-20s, uh, if they light it up in MLS, if they put in a couple really good years mm-hmm. in MLS, who knows, maybe they can still go back to Europe. I mean, obviously someone like Dempsey's older in his career and he's pretty much going to stay here now. But for these other guys, you know what, there's still time in their career that maybe they get kick-started here, they play well, they, they, they do really great, and then they can go back one more time. You know, I've been thinking this for for a while too, and and I know we always argue for we want Americans in Europe, we want Americans playing in Champions League, but you know, part of me, man, I think sometimes obviously that we kind of maybe display some homerism and and overrate the U.S. men's national team because it has been difficult for guys for years to crack the Champions League, no matter what country it's in. Well, I mean, to be fair, I I don't know if enough players have have explored enough options in Europe because uh, it always just seems that. Uh, you know, people want to go to England, obviously, or, uh, you know, try their hand there, maybe some in Germany, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe I, I, the way I look at it, I mean, I don't think players explore enough of a variety of options. I think, mm. I think some, maybe some people settle in the comfort zones uh, too much and, and, and go very, go similar routes. I mean, for me, someone like Michael Bradley, he, he, he tried a lot of different things. Obviously he went to the, he went to the Netherlands mm-hmm. as a teenager he went to he went to, uh, to the Bundesliga at a very young age. He went to Serie A, uh, succeeded there, and 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 that's what you like to see, you know. And then he got obviously got to a point in his career where, uh, again, MLS came along with an, an offer that was just you're talking four or five, uh, some would say six times what he was probably going to make in Europe, and that's and that's crazy money to turn down. Um, and I know a lot of people are, are worried that oh, what is this going to be for the national team? Um, on some level, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with what Klinsman, Jurgen Klinsman said back in the, in the fall, um, and what he got bashed for by Don Garber about the notion that um, you know some of these top players won't get to their very top potential um, because they aren't playing in the absolute best leagues they can play in. I know some people refuse to believe that, and I and I, I just it's a, it's just a little too defensive. Uh, a response. It's just reality. It's just reality. There's a reason that most, I mean, if you make a list of the top soccer playing countries in the world, every one of them, every one of them has their players playing uh, in in top leagues or playing in Champions League. They're very best players. They're very best players in Champions League. That's what, ML, that's what American soccer should aspire to. That's what U.S. national team should aspire to. That being said, um, you can't just blindly rip moves without having trying to take a minute to understand why some of these moves happen and why some of the players make the decisions that they make. Because, look, I know obviously Jurgen Klinsmann is not happy, right? He's not happy because he, he I'm sure he believes that Josie Atzorah can play in Europe. That Josie Atzorah, if he gave Germany a try, if he gave France a try, he could still stay in that picture. He could end up in Champions League. Mm-hmm. And I know... A lot of people want to rip on Josie because of how much he struggled at Sunderland, and they think he's this atrocious player and he can't play anywhere. I just think that's dumb. You know, if you're play, if you're struggling at in the English Premier League, one of the absolute best leagues in, in the world, that does not all of a sudden mean you can't score anywhere or you can't play well anywhere. The notion that that he's not going to come to MLS and do well is crazy to me. It's crazy to me. I'll bet anybody that wants to bet that Josie Atzor is going to be a goal scorer in MLS again. He's going to come in. And he's going to score goals. He's going to be a, a, an imposing dominant. He was an imposing dominant figure in MLS as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. He's going to come back to MLS, and he's going to do well, very well. So 
I just don't. I just feel like people are, sometimes people don't have a, 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 at all a good sense of context uh, when it comes to leagues and their. Life. Josie Altidore is a teenager, man. Like you said, fifteen goals, thirty-seven appearances. Man, it was so long ago. Uh, actually, no, no, I was actually early thirties. Early thirties, like. Um, but yeah, no, he was he was excellent there, and I can tell you, man, he is he is so much better a player now than he was then. And obviously, the league's better now. MLS is better now. It's not a cakewalk. But I, I look, put me down for. Uh, I tell her to him, and uh, he tweeted something out about the over under, and, and he put the over under on twelve and a half goals for Josie Altidore. Hey, look, I know he's going to miss over. some time with the Nationals. Over. I would take the over all day. I would absolutely, because barring injury, he will score yeah. more than that, even with national team duty. Even with the Gold Cup this summer, even with now World Cup qualifying in the fall, although that'll be after the regular season, I put me down for Josie Altidore doing absolutely outstanding, uh, especially if if he if, if and when he joins the Toronto team uh, that is revamping and still adding even more players potentially. I mean, now they're talking. There's reports about uh, Sebastian Javinko, the the little quick Italian terror. If he comes into the league, he'd be outstanding in MLS. So. Put me down for Josie Altour for more than 12 goals. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree 100% on that. As we mentioned, other U.S. players on the move. Mixed Discrude is coming over to NYCFC after his contract with Rosenborg ended. Uh, for New York Red Bulls fan, Ivis, this is a, uh, a great move and hopefully a, a silver lining to the whole Frank Lampard situation. Well, I think it's a great move for NYCFC. Uh, you know, I think Discrude is... Is a player who's kind of coming into his own, and 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 once again, people are going to say, "Wow, I wish he would have gone somewhere else. I wish he would have gone to a better league." And I agree with that. You know, you, you when when you saw that he was out of contract at Rosenborg, <coughs> you you thought, "Okay, he's, he's going to step it up, go to a better league." Fortunately for him, the you know he I don't I don't know what options were on the table when it was all said and done, but he's joining a team that I think is not going to be afraid to spend money and, 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 and is going to be a showcase for him. And if you're going to step into a lineup where eventually you're going to be playing alongside Frank Lampard and setting up David Villa and playing in New York city for a player like mix this group with his uh, marketing appeal and marketing savvy and all that. I mean, I, I can think of, I can think of worse situations for some a player to be in. So I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's good for him. I think it's good for the uh, for NYCFC. Yes, I agree. That definitely helps with the whole Frank Lampard fiasco that's gone on. Not all of it, though. <laughs> I mean, it, it helps to a degree, right? It, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think I think it's going to work well. And I, for me, I'm 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 less. Uh, I'd say I'm less. Not I don't know. Let's say the word shock, but it, it. I think it's. I think this move is better for him than I think uh, TFC is for for uh, for Altidore, Just because I think Altador. I really believe if Altador hit, uh, and again, it's easy to say when it's not your career, when you're not, when you're not the one giving back millions. But I think Josie Altador, if he had stayed in Europe, I think he could have he could have gone to the Bundesliga, he could have gone to France, for, he could have gone to Ligue 1, and he could have been an impact player. I think he could have scored goals in either of those leagues and done well in the uh, put in, you know given in the right situation, and then could, that could have kept him on that trajectory to get him back towards the cha- the kind of Champions League level radar that kind of thing. Um, but with this group, I think uh, he he you know he's he was playing in Norway. 
uh, that level to MLS is, is, you know, similar. And I think joining a team like NYCFC is going to have its, I think at the end, it's going to have its event. <laughs> you can already hear everyone saying like, oh, be loaned to Manchester City. Great, great, smart yeah. decision. Is he ever going <laughs> to actually come here? Is he ever actually going to play? Yeah, no, nah, he's, he's, we'll see. He's going to, I think he'll do well. And I think again, remember, he's going to go play for Jason Christ, very good coach. Uh, who I think will, will be able to get the most out of them. I, f- I feel like we're going to – like there's two headlines that should already be written for all these moves for the U.S. guys coming back to Major League Soccer. Headline one is, you know, um, you know, American soccer players return, achieves World Cup success. Or headline two, American soccer players come back, fail miserably. It's it's going to be like a vice versa thing, Ivis. Well, let's, let's not forget now. It's 2015. The World Cup is three years away. There's a lot that can happen. In three years' time, right? I mean, not only um, – I mean, I can see if the World Cup was this year, then you're like, what is going on? But it's three years away uh, in that, you, you know, you can have a lot of players step up in that time, a lot of new players. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think I think I'm sure a lot – what you see now with all this, with the, with, 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 uh, the reaction to, to players like Altidore and Mix coming back to MLS, uh, you see the, this, the – you see the – the the difference in fan bases because you have your MLS fans and then you have your U.S. national team fans who could give a crap about MLS and there's nothing wrong with that you know you like you can like what you like you don't have to like MLS if you're American um, but it's just funny to me uh, seeing the the the, uh, the number of American f- soccer fans ripping on these moves ripping on MLS is a league and it's just like listen we get it MLS is not England it's not the Premier League it's not La Liga. But let it go. Like it's a growing league. It's an improving league. Uh, it's it's this for me. This is going to be the league's best year ever. Just the way it's shaping up, the way the teams are looking, uh, the buzz surrounding the new teams coming in. I think this 2015 is shaping up to be an uh, outstanding year. And and I, I just think people are like uh, too eager to crap on the league and crap on the quality. And you know, on Twitter, I had somebody on there talking about, oh, these players are coming back to this Mickey Mouse league, and you always hear that stuff. Look. <laughs> The league is not anywhere near the top leagues in the world. No, no question. No one's arguing. No one realistically is arguing that MLS is in, in anywhere near the top five leagues in the world. But it's an improving league. And, I mean, having covered it since the 90s, I can tell you, man, it's so night and day. It has closed the gap on, on European leagues. Uh, it still has a long way to go. But when you see moves like this, when you see guys like Altidore and Discrude choosing to come here, you see guys like Lampard and Gerrard choosing to come here, when they can still play – I think that says a lot, and and I think the whole uh, it's a retirement league. You got all these old guys coming back. Like, give me a freaking break! These guys can still play if they wanted to in England, in Europe, in the top leagues. You're telling me that there's no teams in a Premier League that will take Steven Gerrard tomorrow if they could, or Lampard tomorrow? Manchester City doesn't even want to let the guy go, let Lampard go, yep. and they're in second place. They're in Champions League. They're in a round of 16, and they don't want to let him go because he is making an impact. And so, like, this, I mean, these are moves that are good for the league and are helping the league. And you know what? It, it shows, regardless of what some people want to tr- trot out these tired uh, I- ideas and opinions, these are moves that are showing that the league is actually improving. Yeah, it is. It, you know, wait, when it passes Liga MX one day, that's when it has taken a step in the right direction, and that's dominating in CONCACAF Champions League. And speaking of the Frank Lampard situation, everyone came out and played nice, Ivis. They said the right things to the media, and he'll be coming over to Major League Soccer after the Premier League season ends. 
Right. I mean, I don't think this, this should. I don't think anyone should be surprised by it, really. I mean, uh, as as well as he was doing, it's not a shock that they wanted to let him stick around. And I think people are really beating a dead horse. Part, part of the reason is, to be fair, NYCFC Manchester City, they really mishandled uh, how they were presenting this, right? I mean, they, there was conflicting stories. Um, you know, it, it, it looked shady. It looked shady the way they the way they were putting out the info, and then at the end, and then at the end of the day, they're like, "Oh, well, we made we made multiple mistakes, and this is what really happened." And it kind of smelled like a cover up. It smelled like they were trying to clean up a mess they made. But at the end of the day, he's going to stay there for another for another half season, which which is for me, it's terrible for NYCFC because you obviously sign a guy thinking you're going to have him from the first day of the season. But you can understand why that or the team, the club, the that ownership group—they own both teams, right? Hate, hate it or love it, and most most people hate it. If their owners own both teams, Manchester City is a, you know is a multi multi million dollar uh, entity. They're in the Champions League. They're in there. They're fighting for an English Premier League title. They want to keep them. You can understand that, right? You can kind of like as much as you want to crap on everyone involved. How can, it's a pretty simple, un, like it's simple to understand why things happen the way they happen. Um, but he, he's coming; he's going to come. He's going to come in the summer, uh, and it's a bad look. I would say it's a bad look because NYCFC made a lot of promises about him being here from the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in all the promotional materials, right? Yeah. So there was that moment of uncertainty when people were like, "Wait a minute, is he ever going to have a contract? <laughs> is he ever even going to play here?" And I think if there was a mistake made, it was a mistake by Frank Lampard not coming out sooner yeah. to kind of give people some sense of what was going on. Like, he, he was way too quiet for way too long. He finally put out a statement to kind of put things to rest. Um, but, before, but I mean, I feel like a week went by where, he, where you didn't hear from him, where he didn't make a statement. And that, that allowed for uncertainty to creep in. Um, and then you have Manuel, Manuel Pellegrini just putting his foot in his mouth on a constant basis. Like, oh, <laughs> know, that's hilarious. Want to keep him all year? Maybe we'll bring him <laughs> back next year. Maybe we'll keep him forever. Like, shut the hell up! Like, I'm sure you're like Jason Christ. You're you're calling up Pellegrini, and you're like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, shut up! Like, um, but it's all been resolved. It's all been sorted. He's going to be back in the summer. And what I think is maybe completely overlooked is the fact that it is is actually very good for MLS. Um. To have a player who is still doing very well in the Premier League yes. coming to MLS, and he's going to come to MLS in the summer. I mean, what? Think about the alternative. I mean, what if he had been terrible at Man City? What if he couldn't get off the bench? What if, what if he, uh, you know, just made up the numbers and 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 would looked awful? If he looked, what if he looked awful for 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 his his, his time at Man City? It, well, his move wouldn't would have, his move wouldn't have been as you know big as it looks now. Right. Based off, like, like oh, you said, based off his form. He's yeah. an old man. He's an old man. Uh, MLS is a retirement league, blah, blah, blah. We, we, all that stuff would have got trotted out. But what's going on? He's actually there. He's actually doing well. He's actually a player that they, a Ma- Manchester City, a top team in Europe, they still want to keep. Yeah. And that's good for the league at the end of the day. He should have just been honest and said, I'm tearing the cover off the ball. I'll see you guys at the end of the season. If he said that, I would have been like, okay, we, we got it. We, we, get, we get you. Well, I'm sure he said that to the team. Or he said that, <laughs> or he, he, he and, and Man City, I'm sure they said that to NYCFC. And uh, it, 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 I don't know. It, it's, a, it's an unfortunate situation, but it's an understandable one. I mean, they, they made their mistakes in how they handle it. No question about it. They made it a messier situation than it already even had to be. Um, but having said that, I mean, I know like, what was funny is 
you know, I had a chance to talk to Jason Christ down down at the combine and get his take on on the situation, and and he and so he he makes his comments, and and he was getting slaughtered from people who are like, oh, oh I know, man. Uh, you know, he's not standing up for his team. And like, what do you want the guy to say? Do you want him to kill <laughs> his employers who he just started working for? Like, oh man, like I, they, I hate my, I hate my bosses. Like who's doing that? Are you doing that? Who out there, who out there talking crap about Jason Christ being a company man? Are you going out there publicly saying your bosses suck? Your bosses are terrible. You, your te- your employers where you work are all like, who is doing that? Nobody. So get off the guy. Like he's saying what he has to say. Anyone like in every? I think everyone realizes that he would prefer to have Frank Lampard from day one of the season. He even said it months ago that 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 he was loving the fact he was going to have him from day one. Uh, and now he's trying to he's trying to look at the bright side because he has to look at the bright side. What? But what? What are people wanting him to say? Like. This is an embarrassment. I hate my employer's idiots. <laughs> like my bosses. Frank, Lam- Frank Lampard's the worst. Yeah, Frank Lampard is is, is, is <laughs> a horrible person. Stand up for you know, like what do you want? Like it's hilarious. <laughs> we don't need him. <laughs> yeah, I mean the people really crush. At the end of the day, the people who are who are ripping on Christ, the people who just want to completely make a mockery of this whole situation. And yes, it deserves it deserves mocking on some levels because it was mishandled on some levels, but. When you take it down a notch with the rhetoric and you look at the situation, you understand why it's happening. And then, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, if Man City uh, if Man City and, and NYCFC had no affiliation, right? Let's just say uh, Frank Lampard was uh, like, like Steven Gerrard, where Steven Gerrard is closing out his career at Liverpool. He's still going to play at Liverpool till the end of this season, right? And then he's going to join the Galaxy in the summer. Uh, there is no relationship between Liverpool and, and L.A., so... There's no one ripping on the galaxy for you know why are you waiting for Steven Gerrard to come in the summer like it's I I just think people are playing up the whole uh you know uh, the NYCFC's a minor league club and uh, you know yeah. they're, they're, they're they're just all they are is kind of the you know the stepchild of of Manchester City owner um, we'll see how that plays out over time right uh, it, it, and and I think I said this I wrote about this last week I said you know what. This they, there's been missteps here. There, there've been some things that could have been handled better, but we'll see with time if this becomes a trend, right? If NYCFC doesn't show uh, it's taking things seriously, then absolutely you could start trotting out the oh, uh, you know, it's Chivas USA all over again. I heard that multiple times uh, this week from people down in Florida, uh, and, and it's just like, no, how in the world can anyone say that with when they've gone and signed David Villa? When they've you know signed Frank Lampard to contract, now they've signed Mixed Discarude. I mean, they've already done more for NYCFC than I think Chivas Guadalajara ever did for Chivas USA in nine years, right? So, I mean, for me, I don't think that's that's a fair assessment, but we'll see. This time next year, we'll be able to look at year one of NYCFC mm-hmm. and have a much better sense of well. The ownership group is taking them seriously, or the ownership group really isn't. And for me, right now. I, I think it's a little early to be saying that they don't take it seriously. And adding to the chaos of soccer in New York and a move that made you look at the headline twice, uh, New York Red Bulls have parted ways with head coach Mike Pecky in a move that just leaves you scratching your head and, and wondering what's going on here. Yeah, it was a, it was a stunner. I mean, uh, no question. Um, now, I'd say for me personally, I heard rumblings uh, a couple weeks prior to the uh, the actual news dropping and I didn't even believe it honestly I thought when I when it was someone 
kind of tipped me off to the to, to the the thought that the club might look in another direction. It just seemed insane to me, and I didn't even entertain the idea to be honest with you. Um, but uh, I know on people, especially New York Red Bulls fans, very emotional, understandably, because here's a guy who was a fan favorite as a player, local player, uh, who lo- has always loved, shown his public affection for the club, his love for the club. Uh, then he takes over the coaching job, and he actually does really well with it. He actually leads the team to Supporter Shield, gets them to the you know to a uh, step away from MLS Cup this year. And you're thinking this is a guy who's gonna you know he's a long term guy. He's he's you know he bleeds Red Bulls. He's he's gonna you know grow into this job, and all of a sudden, boom, he's out of there. And 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 it was stunning. I know a lot of people are still uh, even around the league. I mean, being down in uh, down in Florida. I had more than one coach uh, come uh, come up to me and ask me, "What in the heck is going on in New York? What happened to Pecky? Why did he go?" Um, and I can, I'll, from what I've been able to piece together, um, what it boils down to is this, and this is what I've gathered from talking to the people that I've talked to. When it came down to it, ownership at Red Bull, ownership at the Red Bulls, and we're talking at the highest levels. We're talking Salzburg um, never rated Mike Pecky. They never liked Mike Pecky. There was always kind of a uh, they weren't. You never got the sense that they were that impressed. You know, he. I. I don't know if he ever uh, rubbed people the right way on that level of ownership. And when it came down to it, I'm sure they looked at it and they said, "Here's a guy. We gave him two years. We gave him all sorts of resources. He had. He had a high payroll. You know, he had Terry Henry. Terry Henry. He had Tim Cahill. And guess what? He did not win an MLS Cup. So by the, by that standard, if you're an ownership group that is detached from the local scene is not here, does not really have a grasp of, of the history of this club and what exactly his accomplishments meant, you could you could see how they would be that tone deaf to think, well, you know, he, he we we have a leg to stand on in firing this guy uh, because we you know we don't like him. We don't think he's a, he, he's necessarily a, a good manager from a tactical standpoint. Maybe he's a little tactically naive. Maybe you know the, the the players don't necessarily love the guy. I mean, there's that those kind of rumblings as well. Um, so, but still, there is no uh, justification for firing a guy. And whether you know, it, you could say part ways, you could say whatever. Because look, Red Bulls that we've seen through the years, they're the kings of this the payoff slash separation agreement slash don't rip us on the way out the door uh, move. So it's never like a firing. It's always like just parted ways, dismissal. You won't hear Pecky bash them at any point because he's already taken his hush money because that's what the Red Bulls do. They did it with Bruce Arena. They did it with Juan Carlos Osorio. They did it with, uh, well, that Bob Bradley was before Red Bulls. Um, but they've done it through the years. So that's exactly what will happen. That what's, that's what's going to happen this time around. Um, but he did enough to earn another year. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's just that from that, that's what's the most shocking thing. And, and, and when I say shocking, we're not – Red Bulls fans are obviously shocked because they love the guy and they couldn't imagine him being being they you know I'm sure they thought he was untouchable, but even from just people around the league it was shocking because here's a guy he did like he did as well as you can expect him to do and he and and it still wasn't good enough and I think honestly some people around the league are looking at it like like absolutely almost upset I mean there's a couple of coaches I talked to were just furious like that's just ridiculous it's so disrespectful the guy did very well. Look at his record, his one loss record. Like uh, most coaches in the league would, would be absolutely ecstatic to have the win loss record that, that Mike Pecky had. 
So from that standpoint, he earned a third year. And even if you didn't necessarily consider him a good manager, and even if you thought, oh, this is going to be a really rough year, now that you don't have Henri, now that you don't have Alave, uh, it's a rebuilding year. He's not a guy who can handle that. That He's not a guy you believe in to be able to transition a team uh, to a new era. Even if you believe that, you got to give him a chance to prove it. You got to mm-hmm. give him a chance to show it because he earned it. Because he earned it over two successful years. But guess what? That's part of the issue. And I said this, I've said this on social media since it went down. That's part of the problem when you have an ownership group that isn't here, that isn't on site, that, isn't, that doesn't have that connection with the fans, and they have no that they don't have that perspective of the history of the club to understand how significant how significant this year was. The fact that they won their first home playoff game, the fact that they beat DC United, their hated arch rivals, in the playoffs for the first time in their history. These are significant milestones that they accomplished under Mike Pecky, and and I guarantee you, those accomplishments were completely missed, completely overlooked and ignored by the same people in upper management at Red Bull who ultimately dis- made the decision to get rid of my pet. And as Mike Pecky walks out the door, in comes Jesse Marsh, who's going to be in a very difficult situation. Every single move that he makes, everything that he says is going to be under the microscope. Uh, in 2012, he was head coach of the Montreal Impact, who, when you look at the record, yes, it, it was a looking record, but he did do a, a good job there. And it's going to be difficult for him because a lot of New York Red Bull fans are going to point at that record and say, well, look at this guy. He had a losing record in his one Major League Soccer season, which, I mean, for him, it shouldn't be the case at all. Well, obviously, if, you know, if you're looking at just one, they're, they're try- it's, it's, so, it's kind of not fair to judge the, compare their records because – Obviously, uh, Jesse Marsh took over an expansion team, um, and, and, and I thought he actually did well uh, when he was there, considering re- considering it was an expansion year, uh, considering the resources and everything. He did. I thought he did well there. Um, <clears throat> but it, it, anything short of an established named foreign coach or a Bob Bradley, I don't know who was going to come in there and not draw a reaction that was like, why the hell did you fire Mike Peck? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there weren't that many. Mourinho, uh, you know what I mean? Ancelotti. Like, there weren't many coaches you were going to be able to hire that, were, that would make, you know, Red Bulls fans okay, okay with it. You just weren't. And Jesse Marsh is definitely in an unenviable, unenviable position because um, not only does he have to fill some pretty big shoes, um, but the team was already headed – for a rebuilding year, there were, it, there was already going to be a downturn. And I don't care what anyone says. I know ideally, I know, I know people say, oh, well, they could still be okay, uh, this and that. Look, this team is not going to be as good. It's not going to be nearly as good. It's a team in transition. You lose Thierry Henry, one of the absolute best players in the league, even still at his age. He was still one of the absolute best players in the league. It's going to hurt. You're not. It's not going to be easy to replace him. You're probably getting rid of Tim Cahill. Um, who, you know, it's not done yet, but he, they're going to get, I mean, if I all, I put all my money on him not being back next year, you lose Hamas and Olave, who's your best defender. You you went and got rid of him. Like, it, like it, does anyone really think that they're going to do that? Well, so now Jesse March is in that situation where he has to, you know, compete with Mike Pecky's legacy, but do it with a team that's not nearly as good as the one Pecky had. So uh, I actually think Jesse March is a very sharp guy. I think he could do well. But uh, I would not want to be him right now, i got to tell you that. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, every move he makes, it's going to be completely under the microscope. But 
the guy who ha- hired him, I was Ali Curtis. I mean, he immediately within seconds became the most hated enemy for every single New York Red Bull fan. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. As much as Jesse Marsh is facing the heat, Ali Curtis is. It, 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 most fans are looking at him and thinking, "What in the heck is this guy doing?" Um, since he's the one who decided to take the credit slash blame for firing Mike Pecky. And, you know, of course he has to do that. Uh, But I think anyone with a a brain can look at the situation and see um, he was hired to make that. He was hired to do that. He was ultimately hired to do that. Uh, uh, There's no way that he, you know, they hired him and, and he, there was no mandate from on high to fire Mike Pecky. That, get, that, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way that Ali Curtis got that job. And, and, and Red Bull said, you know what? Do whatever you want. We don't have any suggestions. Hire who you want. Fire who you want. We'll be okay with it. Zero chance that happened. What happened was Red Bull wanted him out. They wanted to hire a guy who, who could give them a succession plan, who could give them a plan for life after Mike Pecky. And I'm sure Ali Curtis stepped up and said, I will give you a plan of life with my pecky. I'll take the heat for firing my pecky. I'll get you a guy who will make the fans forget about my pecky. That's what Ali Curtis said. He delivered Justin Marsh. He did the dirty work <laughs> getting rid of pecky. He's accepting the blame. He's holding a town hall meeting on Friday. Uh, I believe the Red Bull Arena is going to talk to fans. I mean, that thing is going to be, I can tell you right now, that's going to be pretty epic. Um, so, you know, I think it's like 300 season ticket holders will be allowed to attend. Oh, geez. Uh, and they, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna come after Ali Curtis. It's gonna be, uh, and I know he's ready for it. I talked to him today, actually. And, uh, and, and he, he's, he's looking forward to his opportunity to speak. He's a real confident guy, really smart guy, Duke graduate. Uh, for those who don't remember, he was a player in MLS, Ali Curtis. He was the, actually the number two draft pick in MLS, uh, when he came out of college. Um, you know, didn't really light it up in his career, but he did have a playing career. And then he transitioned to, to MLS, uh, MLS front office, uh, working in player personnel. He's always been a pretty uh, highly regarded guy. And actually, here's a nugget that I had heard, and, you know, take for what it is. I actually had heard that uh, Toronto FC, when they were looking for their, the, someone to run their club, they wanted, they wanted to hire Ali Curtis. And he turned them down. They then went on and hired Tim Bezbachenko. Who's uh, who's the, the guy running KFC now? So Ali Curtis has been a pretty highly highly regarded guy for some time now, uh, in those inner circles. Um, and for me, I think it's actually great to have MLS hire a minority. I don't. I, I've been saying it for a while. I don't think there's enough diversity in MLS when you look at the coaching hires and you look at the front office hires. There there just isn't enough diversity. And have and having an African American hired is a good step for the league. Uh, and having said that, he's definitely off to a, a a really unpopular <laughs> yeah. start. He's 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 starting, uh, starting from the bottom in, in in a sense. So we'll see we'll see how he does. We'll see what kind of team that they build, they, a team they put together. I can tell you from what I'm hearing about some of the moves that they've that they're trying to work on. It's clear they are trying to put this stamp on this this team. They're not standing around. They are trying to revamp that roster. Mm-hmm. They're trying to they're trying to set themselves up uh, for a, a good year. They, they obviously don't want to have too much of a, a downturn, even though I still think it's going to happen because you just can't replace Tierra Henry. I mean, you, in theory, you could, but there's just not that many players that, that, the, that the Red Bulls can go get. And I don't think they're going to go get anyone like that. They might not get someone at Henri's level, but they're clearly taking a page out of the NYC FC playbook. And when something goes bad, go out and sign a U.S. international to kind of comp things over. And you are reporting, Ivis, that the Red Bulls are in talks to acquire Sasha Kleschen, who's been eyeing a move back to Major League Soccer for quite some time now. Right. Uh, unfortunately for them, 
they're not the only team that's interested in Sasha Kleshton. Uh, I reported earlier in the week, uh, you know, I was kind of the first one to put that out there that uh, he he was in play to come back again. Obviously, he was he was trying to come back last summer to the Galaxy, the LA Galaxy. It didn't work out, uh, but now he's he, he's in in play again. Uh, the Red Bulls are absolutely interested, but so are the Philadelphia Union. Uh, so is so are the LA Galaxy, and actually, I believe another team that could be interested is the Seattle Sounders. Um, I, I have sources telling me that the Sounders are actively pursuing uh, the allocation slot. Uh, from that right now, Montreal, after the mixed disc route signing, Montreal has the top allocation spot, and I have I have sources that have told me the Seattle Sounders are in that conversation. They they are interested in trying to secure that and. When you look at and maybe what potential needs they might have, you could see them adding a Sasha question. So um, I don't I don't have it guaranteed that Seattle's after question. I do have it. I do have it uh, from my sources that Seattle is trying to get the allocation slot. And you know when you look at the options out there, question does make a lot of sense for me. If you're the Red Bulls, you got to find a way to make it happen. You got to find a way to bring Sasha question on board because he's an excellent player. He will do well in MLS. Uh, former Seton Hall player. So there are those ties, those kind of local ties that way. He was a teammate of Jesse Marsh's, so you know he's kind of going to come on board and, and be part of that kind of helping his, his former teammate uh, put his stamp on the team. And, 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 and it'd be kind of, as you said, you know, like uh, to help uh, that combat the negative vibe around the, the organization right now, you'd like to have some moves that give fans something to feel good about going into that year. Giving, giving, if you're a Red Bull fan right now, Henri retired, Olave left, Cahill's probably leaving, um, and and there's been no positives. Pecky fired. There's been nothing, oh, wow, we signed this guy, we signed that guy. There's been none of that, you know what I mean? So they could absolutely use uh, a signing like this, but we'll see if that, that happens because other teams are interested. I know the Philadelphia Union are interested. They're really trying to make it happen as well. So uh, we'll see if the Red Bulls can pull it off. Season start is just around the corner. New York's going to have to get that ball moving pretty quickly. Uh, changing fronts and looking at the U.S. men's national team. It's January, which means January camp opportunity for a lot of Major League Soccer players to leave an impact on Jurgen Klinsmann, who earlier in the week said he was going to call in a handful of younger players who can qualify for the Olympics. He did that. He also called in some veteran players. And he called in another level of players who are young in age but still cannot qualify for the Olympics. Uh, so you definitely have three different levels of players that have been called into this January camp. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we all knew there were going to be some surprises just because of uh, the U23 component. Once he made it clear he was going to call up 8 to 10 uh, U23 eligible players. Um, and and it, he did it. Yeah, It's funny because I spent... I spent a few days after after it came out that that's what he was planning to do. You know, you started kind of putting together the names of of people he might call up, and uh, and 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 once you saw uh, the list, you know, there were a couple that were like, "Ooh, I didn't even I hadn't even thought of that one." And and uh, so you know, credit to Klinsman, he definitely uh, you know left no stone unturned when it came to some of the some of the call ups, and uh, you know, especially with the U twenty threes, and you you like to see that he is, is trying to emphasize that group because I think we all saw in the last go-round um, they didn't do a good job of that. He didn't do a good job of that. And I don't think that – I think that's uh, I think that's something that should be kind of pointed out is that uh, while it's good that, yes, he's emphasizing it now, he probably should have – did that four years ago, you know? And I think, you know, if any, you want to – give him some credit uh, maybe learning his lesson, right? He learned his lesson from that last go-round and – and seeing why you know he he should do that, why he should try to 
uh, take a look at some younger guys and integrate them and, and give them a chance to mm-hmm. uh, get a taste of the big time. And I, and I think uh, you know, when you look at that last Olympic qualifying cycle, uh, that group could have could have definitely used that. So uh, some of the names were good. That you know I thought. Well, I thought, well when when you mentioned three guys out of the two younger groups for this, eliminating the veterans. The, the group, the young players who cannot qualify for the Olympics and then the young players who can qualify for the Olympics, out of those two, which players stood out to you? Then you have your guys that are 22, 23 that are young enough but still can't qualify for the Olympic roster, and then you have the guys who can, who can qualify for the Olympic roster. When you look at just those two age groups, the guys who are young enough but can't qualify for the Olympics and the guys who can't qualify the Olympics, what names stood out to you on that? Well, as far as the play, the age eligible play, uh, the the non U twenty three players, uh, I think obviously Jesse's artist. Pe- people uh, were happy to see him included, uh, and I think it was always going to be right. He, you had to include him given the way he looked uh, in twenty fourteen. Uh, I think Perry Kitchen is an interesting one. He uh, he's a guy who uh, he was part of the last Olympic qualifying cycle, and uh, he's been he's established himself as one of the better defensive midfielders. And he's called in as a defender, and Klinsman wants to take a look at him as a central defender and a younger central defender. And I think that one that one surprised some people because of the player who didn't get called up, and that's Matt Hedges. And that mm-hmm. one for me, um, I still don't see it. I don't see I don't see why he hasn't gotten a look. I think he's a guy who's shown to himself to be a, he's shown himself to be a very good defender, very good in the air, very good uh, as an attacking player on set pieces. Uh, te- he's shown some technical quality as well, but for whatever reason, Clinton doesn't rate him, uh, and that one's still kind of a bit of a head scratcher. But as far as the U23s go, you know, Dylan Serna, I think showed well in 2014. One of one of the few bright spots on that Colorado team that fell apart in 2014. Uh, Tesho Akindele. Now he's a guy who, uh, funny enough, you know, he back in November uh, had been called up. U.S. wanted him in November. And he uh, not only did he, for whatever reason, it didn't work out that he came in. I don't think he was completely 100 percent committed yet. But then he turned around and tried to tell people that he would get, he hadn't heard from the U.S. team. There'd been no contact, which was completely false. I mean, it, it had been established. The Canadian Federation had already established that 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 was part of the reason why he turned down a call up to Canada was in order to go to camp with the U.S. team. And then for whatever reason, it didn't work out that he went in November. But now he is in with this group, and, and he's going to get his chance. Uh, so I think those are kind of the names that stand out. Alex Bono, the, the, the soon-to-be rookie goalkeeper, uh, he'll, you know, he'll be one of the first players taken in the MLS draft. I thought that was an interesting one. Um, you know, and you look at that U23 uh, crop of goalkeepers, he kinda, you can kind of understand why, uh, how he could kind of end up in that mix. So I thought that was a good one. Christian Dean was a little surprising because obviously he didn't play much for Vancouver in his rookie year, but uh, the, the, with the tools that he has and the upside and the potential that he has, you can see, you can kind of see why Klinsman wants to give him a look and, and, and maybe see him developing into a, 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 a part, a key part of that U23 group. Oscar Sorto, similar situation, didn't play really for the Galaxy, um, but he's someone who's really highly regarded as a as a youth international right back. So um, no real, no real shocking ones. I mean, obviously there's some names that are people that that will make people like go like as you love to say. Who? Uh, Dennis Flores. <laughs> Dennis Flores at Club Leon. I mean, he's someone who, who shouldn't be completely unknown, um, but he's someone that, that's interesting. Julio Morales, obviously, uh, a forward who, who not many people would have heard about. So, 
it's an interesting mix here. Uh, you know, the, the, we'll see, and uh, we'll see how it do- we'll see how this group does. You know, they play Chile, they play Panama, uh, so hopefully we'll get get a, a closer look at some of these guys. Though to be fair, I've heard that the U23s or most of the U23s will not uh, be traveling to Chile, and I don't know what part they'll play in the Panama game. So really, maybe we won't get, yeah, who, maybe we won't get to see. Them. Who's going to be on that flight? It's just you look at the roster of guys who have caps. It just it seems like split down the middle. Half the guys have received appearance, and then the other half has no appearances. It's, well, it's, it's kind of crazy. Camp, it's yeah, not no, the I know. Time. I mean, yeah. I remember the, uh, that one, the, the year <clears throat> Eric Alexander was a rookie. I think Zach Lloyd might have been a rookie. Um, there, there was that year where there was like six or seven that had, uh, players who'd never had a cap. Um, so, you know, you've seen it before. You've seen coaches do it before. And, and it's good. You want to get a look at, at the entire group. Uh, you have Mark Pelosi, uh, who's been at Liverpool for some time now, hasn't really had a chance to play there. But he's he's someone who could be a really important part of the U twenty three cycle, mm-hmm. um, and he's someone that U S fans have been interested to see. I'm sure. So maybe you know, hopefully he'll get a chance to to get a look and maybe get a first cap. So you know, we'll see. This is it's an interesting group. It's an interesting group. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there guys who you would like to have seen get a call up? Sure, no question. There's always, that always happens, right? I mean, Matt Hedges is one. Harry Ship is one. I don't I don't know what's going on as far as is he healthy. Um, so, I mean, those two stand out. Chris Schuler, uh, the Real Salt Lake center back's another guy. He may be a little older now, so maybe. You know, I mean, when I say older, he's like 28. But you know, if you're Klinsman and, and you and you have a chance to look at a Perry Kitchen and you think he has a future as a central defender, you can kind of understand why he did that. But for me, Hedges and Harris Ship are the two guys that I think I would have liked to have seen be a part of this group. Who do you think has the most to gain, or who do you think in about a month from now we'll look back and say and say that guy had the best January camp? Who knows, man? Really? I mean, I think Zardis is a guy who has a chance to show that, you know, he belongs on this level. He's, it, it, maybe he's good enough to be with the next, with the full group. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. He's someone that I, I, I'm interested to see. Steve Birnbaum, the DC, uh, you know, the, the standout DC uh, rookie. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how he does. We'll see what kind of chance he gets to play. Um, I thought he showed really well as a rookie and he showed a lot of experience, a lot of poise and, uh, he's someone who could develop in the in the, into a quality player. So uh, you know, for me, I, I think those two, and obviously Breck Shea, having his chance to come back into the mix, he's another one I want to see. And then obviously Will Trap, because I think Will Trap, uh, he really broke out in 2014 as one of the best young midfielders in MLS. And he and he, he's just, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for being an absolutely. Uh, mouth-watering prospect for the U.S. I mean, the guy has qualities that just—I mean, he's, he's a unique player. He's a unique player, and I think he—I think he could absolutely have an excellent national team career. And keeping it on the national team front, but dropping down an age group to the U20s, I was—they're right now in qualification for the U20 World Cup, which is later this year. This U20 team, as we've talked about in the past, they have tons of guys who have lots of professional experience playing for some big clubs all over the world. However, though, qualifying for the World Cup for them has not gone great. They draw, they drew uh, Guatemala in the first game, and they lost to Panama in the second, and now it looks like they're going to have to win the next three to qualify for the World Cup. I, I mean, what's going on? This is one of the most talented U-20 teams the U.S. has ever had. Uh, it's, a, it's a messy situation, man. It really is. Uh, uh, it, it, that first game, that Guatemala game, really was a game they needed to win. I mean, I think the Panama game, say, as much as anyone wants to say, oh, Panama, how do you even lose Panama? Panama is a good team. This Panama U-20 group, uh, U-20 team, by all accounts, coming into this tournament was going to be one of the tougher and arguably the toughest opponent 
the U.S. was going to play in their group. So losing to them shouldn't be super shocking. But when you don't get the win against Guatemala, you pay the price. And when you're looking at how this group is, how this team is playing, um, it's like, you know, there's skill there, right? You see flashes of skill, but you, it doesn't, you don't get the sense that it's a team, that it's, that there's clearly defined roles, that there's a, a, a target player that that's effective. I mean, they're sorely lacking that kind of Josie Altidore type or, or Terrence Boyd, uh, you know, target forward who can kind of have people run off of them. You know, you have all these skilled guys in the middle, obviously with, you know, Junior Flores and Emerson Hindman, and you get, you know, you get guys like Paul Ariola running, running off of you, Tommy Thompson, who's obviously got bags of skill, but I just feel like they, it, 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 they're so sorely missing uh, an effective target forward. Uh, uh, that that's kind of the clear, that's what's clearly missing because you, you can't just have the, this group of of six, you know, small, quick and small, and technical guys dancing around and 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 just not really being effective, not really being effective at creating scoring chances. And uh, I, I gotta say, I mean, it's not it's not gonna be easy. I mean, they can still qualify, obviously, and I think, um, but I think they're gonna struggle. Uh, I mean, they should beat Aruba, right? Their, their next game, they should they should win that handily. They, but they should. Um, no, they will. That's that one. I'm not, I'm not too worried about, but. Um, it's clear this is a flawed team, and, and there is talent there. I know some people already want to say, oh, so much for the talent being there. They, they don't, there's no talent. No, there's talent on this team, but it's not, it's not a, a, a well, uh, well-constructed squad in terms of being able to put out an effective starting lineup. And I, I think that's uh, – and coming in, I think that, that you know, there was always that question. Like, um, yeah, sure, they have a lot of skilled guys in midfield. Uh, you know, they have creative guys, no doubt, no question. Probably the, the most, the best collection of creative guys that, that you've seen on the U20 level for U.S. But that you need more than that, though. You need finishers. You need guys who are going to put the ball in that, and that's what they're sorely lacking right now. And the next game for the U20s is on Wednesday against Aruba, and then following Jamaica on Sunday, and then Trinidad and Tobago uh, next Wednesday. On the other hand, Ivis, U.S. fans, don't look, though. Mexico is killing it right now. And qualifying. Yep. Yep. Well, it's no surprise. You know, they they do they do they've always done and they continue to do an excellent job on the player development side, uh, on the club level, emphasizing opportunities for their young players. And and the MLS is definitely uh, behind in that. And and hopefully now in the next couple of years, uh, the U.S. will close the gap. American soccer will close the gap as you see MLS establish affiliate clubs, USL pro clubs, which will lead to more opportunities, more playing time for players at a younger age. And I think that's uh, that's an area where, where where Mexico has is so far ahead of MLS because, I mean, Liga MX mandates it that clubs play younger players. And um, and they, they benefit so greatly from it because you get teenagers, you get 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are getting first team – you're getting first team minutes in, in, in the top league in Mexico – uh, and that just sets them on a, on a course so much earlier, so much younger. Uh, MLS has not really – they don't have that. They don't have any kind of guidelines that make teams play young players. There's nothing like that. Um, and now – but, you know, good thing now for MLS that they've, they're, they're establishing these USL pro affiliates, you know, whether, you know, Seattle, Portland. Obviously, L.A. was the first with their team. Um, but I think it's going to take a couple years before you really see uh, the, the youth national team set up, kind of reap the rewards from that. Um, but yeah, no, it's no surprise. Mexico is always going to be the favorite in this group. 
in this competition, uh, and and they hand, and they handled Canada well. Uh, can't watch out for Canada though, man. Even though they lost that game, they're, they're a team that I think is gonna, you know, be a handful because you know they may they're obviously not gonna, they're probably not gonna win the group, but they're gonna be in there for for that those, those kind of qualifying spots. So maybe just maybe we'll see another USA Canada battle for qualification. And earlier this week, CONCACAF announced changes to the starting dates for the 2018 World Cup qualifying, which seems crazy, Ivis, that 2018 World Cup, World Cup qualifying excuse me, will start in the year 2015. It just seems like the World Cup ended like two months ago. Um, but, the, but they announced a new format where teams will be seeded based off their FIFA ranking, and there'll be a home-and-home home series. Uh, you know, the worst teams will start in the first round, followed by a second round, third round, and then followed by the best teams, U.S., uh, Mexico, Panama will be in the fourth round. Uh, for Ivis, it's an opportunity for some of these teams to, to fight through and and, and emerge kind of you know battle tested. But uh, you know some interesting moves and in, in qualifying for the U.S. starts much earlier this cycle than the last cycle. Right. I mean, I think the 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 overall kind of makeup of qualifying isn't all that different for the U.S. But the fact that it's starting much earlier is a surprise. I mean, I got to tell you, I wasn't I wasn't ready to cover qualifiers already in 2015. It's crazy, you know. We usually get it started uh, two years out, uh, early, you know, early t minus two years. Now we're talking about almost three years before the World Cup. Uh, so uh, it, it's a that I got to tell you, that's putting a little pressure on the U.S. and Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, uh, and I, and it, you get a sense that they kind of knew it was coming, uh, and it's part of the reason why they built such a tough schedule for the first nine months of the year. They they kind of. Uh, I think they saw it. The writing was on the wall. I'm sure they had an idea that it was that you know it was coming down that way that qualifying would start earlier. Um, so the you know pressure's on Klinsman, man. He's he's got to uh, get the squad rolling, get him in a, in a good in a good uh, heading in a good direction because obviously 2014 did not end the way you'd like if you're Jurgen Klinsman, just in terms of players stepping up, players being in good form. Obviously, the Gold Cup is going to be a big tournament uh, uh, mm-hmm. for for that kind of to, for the new uh, the new makeup, the new team, the the new the post World Cup U.S. the true U.S. post World Cup team. We will see that at the Gold Cup. So there's still some time, but man, I got to tell you, November already <laughs> World Cup qualifying. Uh, uh, that that's crazy. And in less than 24 hours, depending on when you're listening to the show, Major League Soccer will hold the Super Draft. On Thursday, Ivis, you just came back from the combine down in Florida. Uh, what were your kind of just general thoughts on it? Did anyone really stand out to you? And, and how was the combine this year? Well, it was you know it was a pretty standard combine. You know, it's, it's like my eighth in a row, and it it always kind of breaks out the same way. Where the first day is rough, players struggle the first day. There, there's a lack of familiarity, fitness is an issue sometimes. Then then the players settle down. Second game, second day usually better. And then by the third day, you, you get to see some really good stuff. Um, I think the, the general consensus coming out of this is that the, the, there's a very strong pool of center backs, a very deep pool of center backs. Uh, there's a surprisingly good group of central midfielders. Uh, there's some interesting guys that I think, uh, you know, caught the eye of players. There's some good, ta- there's some attacking quality in this draft. Um, the gen- the general idea, and I know some people who, who don't even follow college soccer, or the MLS draft closely, just kind of right off the bat. Oh well, the quality is not as good as it's been, and it, it's the, the, what it's it's trickier. It's not as simple as that. What it is is high the top end talent, the guys who you can see come in and be immediate impact players. Are there that are there as many of those as there've been in the past? Probably not. 
But there is, I would argue, more depth in the area of players who can make teams and eventually develop in the starters. I think for me, there's more of those guys in this draft than there were last year. So is it a weaker draft? In some ways, it's actually a stronger draft. And if you're a team that has multiple picks in the mid to late first round or you know, from, from mid first round, late first round, early second round, if you have a lot of picks in that area, you can get yourself three or four you know, quality players who can make your team. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're the LA Galaxy, you're probably not drafting somebody who's going to come in and start for you, right? But if you're kind of one of the you know younger teams or rebuilding teams or you know teams that have a bit of a, a thinner bench or weaker weaker uh, you know bench, you can get yourself good players. Um, so for me, the center backs I thought impressed. Left back, there's some good left back prospects. Um, so I tell you what, this draft is uh, there's down there's not the star power. But I can tell you right now, coaches see the quality, and, and I think I think coaches, MLS coaches in general, are looking forward to this draft to see what they can grab. What are some of the things that we should expect on on Thursday? Uh, I, I mean, I think that there'll be a little bit of trading, but as I said, I think teams that have picks later in the there's a couple of teams that I think would trade up because I think when you want to talk about some of the top players, a guy like a Kyle Laren, who is the number, he's kind of the consensus number one prospect. He should go number number one overall. But then you have a guy like Kyrie Shelton, the Oregon State forward slash midfielder. Uh, uh, he's a freak athlete. He's tall. He, he's very fast. He's, he's, he can go at people. There's some teams that absolutely love Kyrie Shelton and could trade up to take him um, in in kind of a higher pick, top three pick. Um, you obviously have uh, Christian Roldan, uh, really technical central midfielder, who is still you know he's young. He's not someone who's going to play right away. So for me, I think the big question, uh, there's two big questions. When you want to talk about the top of the draft, um, mm-hmm. obviously everyone wants to know if Orlando City is going to trade their pick. For me, I think I'm leaning towards, uh, if you're asking me to bet, I bet they just keep the pick and they go and take Kyle Aaron, unless someone blows them away with a trade offer. Um, but I think the big questions are, will NYCFC take Christian Roldan? Because he's the kind of player you could see um, Jason Christ wanting to take, you know, technical midfielder. He can, he can play in that system that Jason Christ likes to play. Um, if they don't take him, you could see Rodan slip, actually, a bit. You could see him um, drop down a few spots because I, I think when you look at the teams that are picking after New York near the top of the draft, you have teams that aren't necessarily the type of teams that would take a Christian Rodan. So Rodan could slip if he's not taken to. I, I, however, I think he will be taken to. I think NYCFC will take him. Uh, so then there's that question. And then there's number three. What If you're Montreal, what do you do with three? Because I think that's a position where you can see a lot of teams try to trade up uh, to grab a Kyrie Shelton, to grab a Romario Williams, um, to grab potentially Alex Bono, the goalkeeper, the, who just actually just got called up to the U.S. national team. Um, so I think those are, the, those are the real interesting questions at two and three um, that, you know, that I think will, you know, will make the beginning of the draft pretty interesting. Other than uh, Kyle Aaron, who's, you know, the, you know, the number one pick in the draft, who else out of, out of the whole entire draft has the best major league soccer potential right off the bat, you know, starting from day one? Uh, there's some players who, who, who I think are polished enough. I think someone like Otis Earl, uh, the right back, uh, he's the son of Robbie Earl. He's kind of established himself as the consensus top left back. I think he's he he's he's good enough that he could make you know depending on the team that drafts him could step in and start. I think Tim Parker, the St. John's center back, impressed a lot of people. I think he's got the tools to step in and start. I think Nick Beasler, the brother of Matt Beasler, uh, looked really good. I think you could argue he was the best player 
kind of overall the best player at the combine. Uh, I like him as a midfielder. A lot of teams like him. Uh, I think he could step in and, and, and earn minutes right away if he ends up in the right situation on the club level. So I think those are the guys that kind of stand out to me uh, the most. And it, it's kind of interesting that the, the, the top prospects in this draft aren't necessarily guys who are going to play the most right away. Kyle Aaron, he's, he's got a lot of talent. But, you know, is, if Orlando takes him, is he really going to necessarily play a ton of minutes right away? Mm-hmm. Or is he someone they're going to bring along? Um, same with uh, Christian Roldan, even a Kyrie Shelton. Uh, I don't think he necessarily is going to you know, blow the world away. Uh, although some people would argue he could be like a Tesho Akindele. Like he could kind of have that kind of impact yeah. going at people, using his athleticism, his combination of size and speed to make things happen. So you know what? It, there's quality in this draft. Center back particularly. Center back is loaded. There's all types of center backs too. You have your big, strong center backs, your tall center backs. You have your, your kind of quick technical center backs as well. Um, I, I mean, I'm telling you, man, there, there are between eight to ten center backs who could easily end up in the first round. Not obviously all eight to ten, but there are eight to ten center backs who teams like, multiple teams like. Um, I could rattle them off for you. I mean, you got, you got Tim Parker, um, Axel Schoberg, who's a six, seven center back for Marquette. Some teams love him. Um, uh, Ramon Martín del Campo, who came in highly rated, had a rough first two days of the combine. But he rebounded on the third day. I think he's someone who could still end up in the first round. Omar Ballo boosted his stock uh, in, at the combine. Uh, Sergio Campbell, the UConn mid, uh, defender, showed some real toughness, some real bite, uh, a good skill set. He He's someone who could go in the first round. Daniel Keller, center back from Louisville, a more technical center back. Some of the teams that look at, uh, you know, they like to pair their kind of big physical center back with their more cerebral technical center back. He's kind of on the more technical side. He's out there. So that if you're a team that needs a center back, you should be able to get yourself one, maybe even two decent center back options in this draft. There's always one or two guys every single year that kind of catch everyone's eye at, at the combine. Who, who, I mean, there had to have been a player this year, Ivis, that, you know, kind of picked up a little bit of steam that saw their, you know, name kind of rise up higher on the, on the mock draft list. I mean, who should we pay attention to? Well, I think Zenon Katic, uh, attacking player, a forward from uh, Davenport at NAIA. He's a player who, uh, you know, went to Europe, tried his hand in Europe, and in that process kind of lost his eligibility to play Division One. So he had to go NAIA route. He impressed people, uh, and he went from a guy who maybe you know didn't necessarily project in the first round to now absolutely looking like a first-round pick and could go in the top half of the first round. I mean, I saw him. Uh, you know, speaking to some coaches after the last day and, 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 and looking at some of the coaches that he was talking to, I could absolutely see him in the top half of the first round. Akil Barrett, the Tulsa uh, winger, you know, midfielder, he uh, he was probably the most uh, entertaining player to watch at the Combine. He's a guy who wasn't afraid to try things. He's, he's obviously really, uh, really shifty on the ball. He likes to do all kinds of tricks and go at people and uh, he, he settled things down a bit on the second and third day and tried to keep it keep it a little bit more simple, which I know some teams liked. Um, and he showed he can pass the ball, he can you know he can go at people, he can create. Uh, he's an exciting player, and uh, he obviously did enough to to sign a. He was one of the players who signed an MLS senior contract, so he already has a contract going into the draft. So, you know, obviously some teams made it clear that you know they saw enough. And they like him. And look, he's not everybody's cup of tea. There's some teams who look at him and say, yeah, you know, all that, all the, ha- the dancing and fancy stuff is fine to look at. But how does that work in the, in the you know, integrating that into a team? Is he a guy who's going to listen? Is he a guy who's going to kind of uh, tighten up his game? So I think there's some questions on that. But he is still him, 
and Katic are, are two just that come to mind that I think they, they have played themselves into that conversation. A couple of guys that I like personally that I thought did well and that you know a lot of people I talked to agreed, Miguel Aguilar from San, San Francisco, a guy who can play out on the right wing in a 4-3-3 or can be a second forward. I really like him as an, uh, one of the kind of attacking players who, who stepped their game up and, and really boosted their stock. And Connor Brandt uh, from San Diego. Uh, you, you know Brandt? Yeah, I know Connor Brandt? Yeah, I know who he is. There you go. Well, Connor Brandt. Uh, good, very good player. A converted midfielder who, who is, uh, he's been converted to left back. Uh, really good attacking quality. Really good pace. Um, and, and there's some questions about defensively. He's still a little kind of raw as a defender, but he's a guy who I think is an exciting fullback prospect. So, yeah, th- th- those are just a couple of the guys that I thought really helped themselves. Well, if you're looking for more college news, you can always go to sbisoccer.com. MLS draft, MLS draft news, not college. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. MLS draft news. Excuse me. Excuse me, Ivis. Yeah. Uh, you can go there because Ivis on Wednesday is dropping his final big draft board. You can check it out on Wednesday. I'm, drop, I'm dropping all of it. I'm, uh, you know, MLS, my last MLS mock draft, my, my last MLS big board. Uh, hopefully, time permitting, I'll be able to put together uh, positional uh, rankings as well. Um, so it, it's the only place you need to be, let's face it. SBI, if you want to know who the players are uh, to look out for in the draft and who your team might draft or who you want, might want your team to draft, make sure you check out SBI Soccer. We'll have, all, we have, we'll have everything you need. And if you don't believe Ivis, just look at the results from last year. All of the top 21 players on your big board were taken in the top 25 picks in the draft. I mean, those are some pretty good results right there. Uh, yeah, I was pretty happy last year. I was pretty happy with the with with the our big board and how it came out. <clears throat> Obviously, you're not going to hit on all of them. Uh, there's always going to be guys who who end up just kind of slipping or or teams kind of just decide to get away from. And there's going to be gems that emerge who, who were later in your big board. I mean, when I'm I'm looking at it right now, Thomas McNamara. Yeah, before before his tour before tore his ACL was looking really good, uh, looking like a rookie of the year candidate. I had him thirty third on my big board, uh, and you know he obviously did really well for himself. And uh, he was actually he ended up picking getting picked twentieth uh, by Chivas USA. Uh, but the, you know, just look at last year's big board. You had uh, Tesho Akindele was eighteen. Um, Marlon Harrison did well for himself. He, he was the twenty first pick. Uh, who are some of the other rookies? Steve Birnbaum obviously. Uh, was high up. He was number three on the big board. He ended up going number two. Uh, Andre Blake, number one on the big board, number one overall. Um, but yeah, that, that was a pretty decent class, decent rookie class. I think uh, I think this year's class, uh, as I said, top end, not necessarily as good. But I think when you when you look at this 2015 group in five years, I think there'll be more guys on rosters in this from this class than there are from the 2014 class. As you said, go to SBI Soccer for more. MLS draft news. With that, Ivis, it wraps up today's SBI show. Not as long as we usually do. Kind of a little bit shorter. But uh, before I let you go, man, anything else we need to cover? No, that's it, man. I'm worn out. I'm worn out. I, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> why, why are you worn out, Ivis? Well, look, the MLS, here's the thing. MLS <laughs> Combine, for those who don't know, uh, is kind of, it's the first event of the year where you have all the teams in one place. You have all the coaches, GMs, even some owners uh, in town, and they're all there to watch the games. And everybody's around, so everyone talks, and you get a chance to you know kind of meet up with everyone. Everyone converges on the hotel bar at the at the at the at the combine hotel, and it's a good place to kind of catch up with people. And and, and, yeah. and that's where 
that's where you know we reporters some reporters will go and will we'll mine for news and uh you know uh, let's just say i don't i don't leave i take advantage of every night <laughs> I, i'm there every night uh and some of these coaches man they 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 uh they they'll 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 roll they'll keep it rolling till till the till the break of dawn and uh it, it's not easy keeping up with these guys but uh it was good it was a good trip uh and i tell you what man it, it, just talking to some of the coaches about what they're doing and some of the gms and even a couple of owners uh it's. I mean, I'm. This is going to be a good year in, uh, for MLS. I think it is. I think the, the, you're going to see it, the league take a step up, which is is in a way a little surprising. Not surprising, but you know when you think about Landon Donovan and Thierry Henry retiring, um, I mean that's not an easy. Th- those are not easy shoes to fill. But you still get the sense that the league is taking a step up in twenty in 2015, and it's obviously part of its new teams coming in. But then, obviously, the influx of talent coming in. When you talk about David Villa, Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, Josie Atorore, uh, potentially, uh, mixed this group. Uh, it, it's exciting, man. It's exciting. I think it's going to be a good year. We don't care about the good year, man. We, we want to know which coaches were partying the hardest. Ooh, I wish I could tell you, buddy. But uh, what, ha- what happens What happens in oh, the come combine? Oh, come on, Ivis. No, I'm a man. no one listens to this show. Word won't get out. <laughs> That's fine. No nah, man, uh, I I I can say unequivocally that no no reporter party hard is, parties harder than I do. I, th- I think yeah, that's, I, that's I, I I I have heard that before. But I'm getting old, man. I'm getting old. I can't hang like I used to. It's <laughs> uh, it's funny, man, because every it's almost every combine by the third day, it's like the struggle is real, man. The struggle is real. Like I gotta say, it's a uh, someday I'll learn my lesson and I'll take it easy. But you know, you never will. YOLO. You only you only live once. Oh my god, live. did you just say that? I did say YOLO. That yeah. that is you losing more street cred than street cred than I, 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 know, I do. I know. Well you know what you know why I even had YOLO on the break? There's actually a place oh, in Fort Lauderdale called YOLO. And you went there? No, I actually did go. Okay, good. All right, that's but fine. Because YOLO was a place like that place was a thing before YOLO was a thing, funny enough. Um but yeah, no. So it was good, no, but it's good, man. It was a good time. The teams uh you know, team, some teams have done really good jobs with, with, with some of the players they've added. There's obviously some teams that still have a lot of question marks, and uh, they're gonna. They're obviously going to be some teams who have down years. But as a whole, I think this is going to be a pretty exciting year. I'm looking forward to it, man. I look, you know, when Mix came over, Josie Altador. It's I'm looking forward to seeing these guys every single week. It's instead of watching them at like five, six a.m. in the morning. It's going to be nice right. watching well, them at like two in the afternoon. I tell you what, the Altador one, if if, if he does come. It, I, I, I look. I'm looking forward to it because uh, you got you got a lot of fans who are kind of new to soccer, kind of new to MLS, and all they know about Altidore is his struggles at Sunderland and his struggles in Europe, and and they think, oh, he's not that good. But I'm telling you guys, like this in MLS, he will he will st- he will tear it up in MLS. I have zero doubt about that. I mean, I watched him play as a teenager in this league. And he was new, and he and he was already he was already dominating them. I mean, there's a reason Villarreal paid ten million dollars for him, right? Um, so he's going to come and tear it up. And I think if anything, maybe you're going to see you're going to see some people uh, as to have newfound appreciation for some of these guys for for what they can bring. Um, same with some of these older players like a Kaká, like a Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard. Uh, you know, so, some fans who just kind of casual, they watch they watch these guys on TV and they think, oh, they're old. They don't have anything left. They're, they're no, you know, they're not they're no good anymore. Wait till they get here. Wait till, wait, wait till you see them actually play 
and see what they still have. And 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 I think the track record of star players in this league has been pretty good. Um, and I think all three of those guys, I think, are going to excel. I think David Villa is going to tear it up. He's a top class pro, and and I'm already hearing uh, impressive things about the way he's training. Because uh, NYCFC as a group, they've already started training. Um, hearing great things about how he's looking. So, you know what? It, it, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a very, uh, a very exciting and interesting year. Hey, the season's two months, but training camp starts literally for some teams in like a week, week, it, week it, or two, it, right after the draft. The, the, party, the party in Orlando is, is fast approaching. And uh, I had a good chance to talk to uh, Phil Rollins and spend time with Phil Rollins and, and Adrian Heath. And, and, and I mean, two, I mean, those guys are uh, talking two class guys. They have some big plans for Orlando City, man, and and Orlando as a whole, and, and trying to get the city to embrace, and then they are the city already is embracing uh, that team. And I, I'm looking for, I'm get, I'm getting out there early, man. I'm going on like Wednesday. The game's on Sunday. I'm gonna get there like Wednesday, like it's, you know, like it's MLS Cup week. Because I mean, they it's it's gonna be something, man. You might have to come out. You might have to come out there. Are there that many things to do in Orlando? If you haven't been there, then you don't know. I've been there. to Orlando before. I'm, I'm, I'm being a smart ass. It's, it's good times. It's good times there. So we'll see. I'm, they're talking about selling out that first game. You know, trying to pull, trying to, you know, six, you know, whatever that state, whatever the Citrus Bowl holds, sixty thousand, whatever it is. They, they're, they're going for it, man. I'm looking forward. Look, to it. I'll go to Orlando with you if we go to Disney World for the day. <laughs> well, hey, look, I, like I told, hey, if I, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go there early. I'm getting there on like Wednesday, or you know, there'll, there'll be time. We'll, we'll, we can hit up Disney World for sure. What world am I? Are we talking about where I can get time off to go travel with you? Uh, maybe you won't have a job then. Was so. <laughs> <No. laughs> breaking news? Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right, Avis. I'm gonna let you go, man. And uh, and I, with the draft, uh, you know, you'll be down in Philadelphia. So probably next time we talk, probably won't be till uh, Monday. It was probably out. Are probably uh, for well, sure well, next show. For we, sure, we for sure, try, for sure next show. We should try to do a Thursday show, uh, like we did last year. Last year we did a we did a, dra- a show right after the draft. We we actually got we had Andre Blake on. So that's right. Uh, you know, hopefully we can. I don't know if we're going to be able to get. Uh, assuming Kyle Aaron's a top pick, uh, he's in Jamaica, so it could be tough to get him in Jamaica. But I'm sure we'll be able to get a couple of people uh, to come on. So we'll, we'll try to have a, a post draft special. On uh, Thursday night, hopefully. That works for me. All right, Avis. Well, uh, have a safe trip down to uh, Philadelphia. Thanks, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for the reviews on iTunes, all the comments, and everything you do to support us. That is Ivis Kolarsip. I am Garrett Cleverly. This is the SBI Show.